This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the senior pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona. Jesus understood that in just two commandments are summed up all of the ten. And when we can keep those two commandments, beloved, we're going to be keeping the ten. If we could just understand in our lives as believers that we're supposed to love God with everything that we are, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then I know that in the love that we have for God, in the desire and the passions and the plans and the purposes that we have for our life in God, man, we're going to be focused on the things that please God. When others think about you, are you known for your love? Pastor David will be exhorting you to radiate God's love. Love is the emphasis of the early Christian community and a commandment from the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, The world will know you are my disciples by the love you have for one another. If you're going through your Christian walk and not loving others, then you've fallen asleep to the mission given you. Awake out of sleep, for your salvation is near. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 13, verse 8, with part one of our message entitled, It's Time to Wake Up. Paul says, Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet, and if there's any other commandment, all are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment or the completion of the law. If you'll remember back a couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, the primary characteristic of the early Christian church was what? Love. Love. And here Paul hits it again. He speaks about, owe no one anything except to love one another. It's an interesting phrase, that owe no one anything. And I know a lot of times you can, um, you probably heard that verse taking out of the context in which Paul writes it here, where he says, owe no one anything, to say, well, that, that means that, uh, you know, I shouldn't buy a house with a mortgage. I shouldn't buy a car with a payment. I should not have any credit cards. I shouldn't owe anyone anything financially. Well, there's enough scripture passages throughout the word that deal with who and what we should owe and what we should not owe, this is not one of those. This Paul is not dealing in the context here in dealing with the finances. The Word of God does speak about the fact that the borrower becomes a slave to the lender. That definitely is a financial thing, and there's a lot of things that we can go on on that, but that's not the study this morning. Here, Paul is dealing with the relationship on the horizontal plane, that I should owe no man nothing except to love one another. Again, this continual theme that Paul has as part of our living as sacrifices, our walk, our life, living as sacrifices to the Lord, but also in loving and caring for the people that are around us. Paul goes on here and he says that, that if you love one another, you fulfilled the law. And then he lists five of the commandments for us. He lists on there, don't commit adultery, don't murder, don't steal. Don't bear false witness. In other words, don't lie about someone or something. Then don't covet. It's interesting. He lists these five. These five deal with our relationship with people on the horizontal plane. How we deal with not only other believers, but also the community at large. On the horizontal plane, there's actually one more commandment that Paul didn't list here. Do you remember which one that it is? Anybody? Anybody? One more that deals on the horizontal plane. 
No, that's the vertical plane. No, no, on the horizontal plane. How about honor your parents, honor your father and your mother? Come on, parents, I can't believe that you forgot that one. Every parent ought to know that one, and you ought to teach it to your children. Amen? The other four, the first four, then deal with our vertical relationship, again, about our relationship with God. The reason I believe that Paul did not list honoring your father and mother, because, again, that's an internal thing within the family. Here in these other five that he does list, the second half of the commandments deals with our relationship with the community at large, both the Christian community as well as the outside community. We ought to live without committing adultery. We ought to live without murdering. We ought to live without stealing from someone. We ought to live without lying. And we ought to live without coveting someone else's stuff. All of these have this overarching idea and thought of loving your neighbor as yourself. Paul tells us here, they're all summed up in the saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. This is the same thing that Jesus spoke about in Matthew 22 when they came to Jesus and asked him the question, well, Lord, which is the biggest commandment? What's the most important commandment? And Jesus says these two. You shall love the Lord thy God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second one is just like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus understood that in just two commandments are summed up all of the ten. And when we can keep those two commandments, beloved, we're going to be keeping the ten. If we could just understand in our lives as believers that we're supposed to love God with everything that we are, all our heart, soul, mind, and strength then I know that in the love that we have for God, in the desire and the passions and the plans and the purposes that we have for our life in God, man, we're going to be focused on the things that please God. And then if I love my neighbor as myself, I'm not going to be stealing this stuff. I'm not going to be murdering. I'm not going to be lying about him. I'm not going to be doing things that are going to harm him. I'm not going to be committing adultery. I'm not going to be coveting. Again, the whole idea and the thought is that we live our lives in relationship to people outside the world, or outside, both in the Christian community as well as outside the Christian community, and an attitude and an action that they're going to look at us and they're going to understand that we are driven, we are led by something different than what the world is led by. That's why, again, that over-abounding uh, thing, that idea and the thought that love was the emphasis of the early Christian community, and love was the thing that Jesus says, they'll know you're my disciples by your love for one another, is so important and is driven home again and again and again in the Scriptures. Well, that's our relationship with others. The next area we're going to look at is found in verses 11 through 14. And that's the relationship with our flesh. And this is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. Why? Because I think this is where we need most of the work. Amen? Three or four of you agree with me. But, uh, and, and the rest of you are lying. So uh, we know that our flesh is one of the biggest battles that we have to deal with. Listen to what he says in verses 11 through 14. And he says, and, and do this. Knowing the time. Understand, Paul is saying do this because you know the time. That now it's high time to wake up out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly. As in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy. 
but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Beloved, Paul is saying, hey, it's high time for us to wake up, for the Christian community to wake up. The problem is, is most of the Christian community, even today, has been lulled to sleep. Particularly, I believe in the United States, in our society, because we live in relative freedom, relative ease, and for the most part, we don't recognize all the battle that's going on around us and is continually going on around, not only for our own lives and for our own testimony, but for the life and the testimony of every believer that's around and for the testimony of Christ. For many believers, they're still asleep. And some believers, they may be awake, but they're still in their jammies. And they're, they, they, haven't, they haven't put on the Lord Jesus Christ. They're not walking in power and in might. They're not armed again with what and how we should be armed and clothed in. We've been lulled asleep by a relative calmness. But, beloved, I believe that it is time, just as Paul says, knowing the time, it's now high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. Do you understand what Paul is saying there and who Paul is writing to and when Paul is writing? Paul is writing in the 60s A.D., Only about 30 years from the time that Christ came was crucified. And he said, listen, it's even closer now. Our salvation is even closer. He doesn't mean, again, the destiny of our, our, you know, the salvation, the being born again experience is closer. No, he's saying the fulfillment of our salvation is even closer right now than it's ever been. Why? Because every day brings us closer, beloved. Every day. And if back then it was so close, We know it's even closer today. Paul had a thorough understanding of what life and death and what eternity was all about. And he knew that there was a great uncertainty in life. And yet the great certainty that we have is in eternity. And yet the unfortunate thing is many believers today live their lives thinking that you have a certainty of life and an uncertainty of eternity. Beloved, we are upside down as believers, as followers of Jesus Christ. We need to know that life is an uncertainty at best. Not a one of us in here, and I don't care what your age is, what your experience is, what your life has been, there's not a one of us in here today that is guaranteed this afternoon because at a moment our hearts could stop ticking. At a moment, we could get hit by a truck out here and go on into glory. Life is uncertain at best, and yet eternity is set for the believer, and that's the certainty of our lives. And how much time do we invest in the things that are certain versus the things that are uncertain in our lives? How much effort, how much, again, emphasis is there placed in our lives for the certainty of eternity that stands before us versus the uncertainty Gee, if I just save up enough, I can get that new car. Gee, if I just do this, I can grab that. If I just do this, if I hold on for a little bit And when we worry and fret about things that are so uncertain, and yet we don't even pay attention to the reality and the certainty of eternity. Paul knew, and Paul kept driving it home to the early church. He wrote to the church of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, and I want you to leave uh, Romans for a moment, keep your place, because we'll be back. Go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and listen to the word that Paul writes to the church of Thessalonica. In in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, Paul writes these things to the early church. 
He says, but concerning the times and the seasons, brother, you have no need that I should write to you. Why do they have no need? Why? Because they understood. They understood that, man, the Lord could come at any moment. They understood that the things that were going on in life right there gave absolutely no guarantee of any other future. But they understood that the promise of Jesus Christ, that he would come again and receive them unto himself, was just as certain for them as anything that they could imagine. He says, concerning the times and seasons, brother, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety... Then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness so that this day should overtake you as a thief. For you are all sons of light and sons of the day, and we are not of the night nor of the darkness. It's interesting, both the Romans passage as well as this passage here in Thessalonians. Paul uses that illustration of light and dark, of day and night, again to speak about the very clear division between those who are following Christ and those who are not following Christ. And he says if you are following Christ, you need to live as a child of the day. And if you're... Because too many of them, I believe, were living as though they were children of the night. They were living as non-believers. And Paul says, you and I ought not be that way. You are all sons of light and sons of the day. We're not of the night nor of darkness. And then in verse 6, again, here he hits the same idea of waking up. He says, therefore, let us not sleep as others do, but let us watch and be sober. And this idea of being sober is to be right-minded, to have clear thoughts and a clear understanding, not, be co- not being controlled by the spirit of a bottle, but by the spirit of our holy God in our lives. He says, for those who sleep, sleep at night. Those who get drunk are drunk at night. But let us who are of the day be sober, clear-minded, right-thinking, putting on. Here he is, getting dressed. Put away the pajamas. Put on, the again, the breastplate of faith and of love and as a helmet of hope, of salvation. For God did not appoint us to wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with him. Therefore, comfort each other and edify one another, just as you also are doing. Paul understood that the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ was going to be at any moment, at any time. The early church understood, and they lived it. As a matter of fact, the eminence of the Lord's return was the very heartbeat of the apostles and the early church. They lived daily with that understanding. They lived with clear understanding, because when he says, therefore, comfort each other with these words, edify one another, they lived in a horrendous situation, great persecution and trials. And the comfort that they had is, hey, hang on, brother. You know, our Lord is coming and eternity waits for us. It wasn't an escapism mentality, but it was an understanding that this time in this place is but for a moment. We're but a breath. We're but a vapor. And then eternity waits before us. And again, we can be comforted in that. And the fact that, you know what, right now, life is a struggle. Life is a battle. There's a... Tremendous amount of attacks that are going on. But you know what? Eternity awaits us. And if I can just focus on eternity and the understanding that my God understands and sees exactly where I'm at, then again, that brings comfort, that brings edification to me. Now, you might say, yeah, but you know what? That's first century. 
And they were saying the Lord was coming back then. And he still hasn't come. This is like 2,000 years later, and he still hasn't come. So what's up with that? But you know what? Peter understood that too. And in Second Peter chapter 3, Peter even says, you know what? There are some that are going to mock that saying. They're saying, hey, the fathers have said that for a long time, and it hasn't happened. But Peter says, you know what? The long-suffering of the Lord is because of his patience, not willing that any would perish, but that all would have eternal life. That a day with the Lord is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as a day. The Lord's not in a hurry, and all of this is just but for a moment. He realizes it's but for a moment. You and I are the ones that figure that we're living for eternity right now. We're not. It's a moment, just a flash. And so I ask the question to you guys, what about now? How does time look to you when you look at the world around you? And you look at the situation that you find yourself in right now. Do you realize and recognize the signs of the times that we are in right now? The reality that the coming of the Lord Jesus could be at any moment? Most believers, we speak that, but we don't believe that. The reason I say that is because if we believed it, we'd be acting different. We'd be living different. We can speak it, but is it really true in our life? Back on February 26th, there was what's been called the Damascus Summit. In that Damascus Summit, Muhammad Ahmadinejad, the president of Iraq, the Hezbollah Secretary General, General Hassan Nasrallah, and the Syrian president, Bashar al-Assad, met in Damascus. The whole reason for that meeting was to pull these Arab countries and these, in essence, terror-funding countries together against Israel and the United States. Beloved, this happened just a few months ago. And in the midst of that Damascus summit, Muammar Ahmadinejad, the president of Iran, said there will be a Middle East war in the summer of 2010. Where are we at right now? We are on the verge of the summer of 2010. It was during that meeting that they had that Ahmadinejad also spoke, and he says, quote, that Arab nations would usher in a new Middle East without Zionists, and without colonialists. In other words, we're going to get rid of Israel. If you remember back in April of this year, Iran tested a long-range missile. And the world was all shaking and rattling, and we heard a little bit about that. But, beloved, it's in preparation for what I believe is going to happen, yes, even this summer. And you say, well, that's, I'm not really sure that that's going to happen this summer. Well, believe me, there is a lot that you and I do not hear on the major news broadcasts. Retired Major General Paul Vallelli. He's a senior military advisor for Fox News, but he's also a highly decorated and highly retired general. Served not only tours in Vietnam, but served all over the world. Was on, again, advisory councils for President Reagan. He spoke just this last week about some particular events that have been going on in Lebanon. Two weeks ago, a Russian-made kilo-class nuclear submarine landed in the port of Beirut, Lebanon. Coming out of that submarine with a Russian flag on it. They were unloading cargo, and those who were unloading the cargo had on hazmat suits. 
They were unloading either chemical or nuclear warfare onto the port of Beirut, Lebanon. And if you know anything about the geography, Beirut, Lebanon is just a stone's throw from the border of Israel. Even as they spoke there, we also know that Hezbollah, the terrorist organization that is in charge in Lebanon, along with the help of Iran, has been armed with a tremendous amount of weaponry even now. And all of them are aimed at Israel, including a multitude of thousands of Scud missiles. Among those Scud missiles are the ones that are called the Shahab 3 class Scud missiles. These are Iranian-designed, and they are mid-range ballistic missiles. Right now, through these Scud missiles that are solid-fuel rockets, they're more accurate and with a longer range than has ever been used in that part of the country or in ever, ever been used in that part of the world, and all with Israel as a potential target. Right now, they have the range from Lebanon to reach any and every target they want within Israel, even all the way down to Elat, there at the tip of the Red Sea. During all of this, they've also built numerous trenches that go from the border of Lebanon underneath the border with Israel to be able to usher in, again, secretly, guerrilla warfare individuals going into the country of Israel. All of these things going, up, going on even right now as we speak. And you think that uh, we're going to, as a nation, you think we're looking at this and thinking about this very much? It's interesting that the United States is not listed in biblical prophecy at all that we can see, that we can understand. Why would that be? I think primarily because you look at the United States right now and the economic standing of our country right now will probably prohibit us from being too much involved. Because if we take too many losses, if we get too spread out, we know that it will be the collapse of our economy. But yet, even at that, found out that just Friday, back May 21st, just a week and a half ago or two weeks ago, Carrier Strike Group 10, which was led by USS Harry S. Truman, set sail from Norfolk, Virginia, to join with USS Dwight David Eisenhower off the coast of Iran in the Persian Gulf. Along with them is a German warship, the frigate Hessen, and they're being operated under American command. There's a new buildup of troops around Iran that's taking place even right now. And over the next three months, they believe that that will peak in July, August time frame, the summer of 2012. He says included in those buildups are 600 Marines that are on the Harry S. Truman right now that are headed toward that group. And not just any Marines, are 6,000 Marines. 6,000 Marines who have just recently gone through special ops training. And beloved, if you know anything about Marines, Marines don't stay in the water. They come on land. And so they are preparing to be able to do something once they get over there. Along with these ships, there's one guided missile cruiser, the USS Normandy, Normandy, and three guided missile destroyers, the USS Winston Churchill, the USS Oscar Austin, and the USS Ross. All of this that's heading toward the Persian Gulf, even as you and I speak. Have you heard a whole lot about that on the news lately? Nothing at all. And yet even right now, these things are going to take place. Why doesn't our news broadcast want us to know about that because as soon as we believe that there is impending war you and i stop being consumers 
We're not going to be too worried about buying that new flat screen TV. We're not going to be too worried about buying that new car or this or that. Suddenly we become non-consumers and the economy of the United States then comes to a screeching halt. And so our country is saying peace, peace at the very same time. I believe that we are getting ready for something this summer that is going to wake up the whole world. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. What does it mean to confess with the mouth and believe? Well, Pastor David will answer these questions and more as he teaches through the book of Romans. You can get a free copy of today's teaching at our website. Simply log on to www.theopenword.com. That's theopenword.com. Although the open word is a huge blessing, we pray that it's not your only source for the teaching of the word of God. It's our hope that you're attending a church that teaches God's word from beginning to end. If not, we'd like to invite you to join us at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for worship on Saturday evenings, Sunday mornings, or Wednesday evenings. For service times, driving directions, and more information, log on to theopenword.com and then follow the link to the church website. Finally, we want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter at The Open Word Radio or log on to TheOpenWord.com and follow the link right there on the homepage. Well, that's all the time we have for today. You've been listening to The Open Word with David Landry. Please join us next time as Pastor David continues teaching verse by verse through the book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word.